Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. We're glad that you've joined us. We're going to talk about this year's March for Life and one year after the Covington Catholic High School students were assaulted on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial as they waited for the bus last year after the March for Life. We're going to talk about what took place uh, this last year in response to that. There was a lot of questions that was raised whether young people would return to the March for Life and what would the numbers be with all the hysteria that followed the negative uh, news uh, surrounding uh, the Covington Catholic High School students and, of course, the lawsuit that was filed by Nick Sandman's family against uh, some of the media outlets, CNN. There was a court settlement there that was non-disclosed, but it was out of court. Uh, settlement by the Nick Salmon family by CNN paid them. Uh, and then, of course, there were uh, legal uh, uh, charges that were pursued by a county prosecutor down in Covington, Kentucky. We're going to talk to Rob Sanders a little later this program about how he pursued uh, some of the serious threats that came in against the Christian school as they were falsely accused last year uh, in the aftermath of the March for Life. But this year, the March for Life made uh, history with uh, the President of the United States, Donald J. Trump, uh, it was the first president to actually attend this year's March for Life. It is my profound honor to be the first president in history to attend the March for Life. We're here for a very simple reason, to defend the right of every child, born and unborn, to fulfill their God-given potential. For 47 years, Americans of all backgrounds have traveled from across the country to stand for life. And today, as President of the United States, I am truly proud to stand with you. That was President Trump as he announced the, uh, to the crowd and spoke to the crowd at uh, last Friday at the annual March for Life. And it is estimated that over 500,000, maybe as many as 600,000 attended this year's March for Life. And plenty of young people loaded buses from across the country and came to Washington, D.C. to march in this year's March for Life. Franklin Graham and his daughter, uh, first time that Franklin Graham marched in the March for Life, he was there and other dignitaries and congressional leaders from across uh, the landscape were there, and, uh, of course, Ohioans, who have always had a strong presence. Pro-life Ohioans were there on the mar this year's March for Life uh, with President Trump as the speaker. With me on the phone is Denise Leopold. She is the director of Northeast Ohio Right to Life. Denise, welcome to the program. Well, thanks for having me, Chris. It's nice to be here. Well, great. And you went down with a bus, and uh, you actually had some other buses dispatched. Tell us about that from the local area. Sure. We sponsor a bus every year for anybody that wants to go with us. Uh, this year, we had quite a few homeschool students on the bus with us. Plus, we also sponsor two extra buses uh, with the uh, assistance of a donor. We uh, took down the University of Akron Students for Life and also the Kent State University Students for Life. So we had plenty of youth going down there. You know, that is so great, and uh, I've actually talked to somebody that rode the bus and had a great time, and uh, of course, uh, when you ride down, it's a, it's kind of a round trip. Uh, you know, you get it there, er, you leave early in the morning, and it's a day trip down and back. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we left from uh, around, I think it was about 1130 the night before, and we had the honor of having Secretary of State Frank LaRose come and see us off uh, when we left. And so we left and traveled all night and got there early in the morning and went to the um, DAR Constitution Hall National Prayer Service. 
and then went to the rally on the mall and did the march and then met with congressional representatives afterwards. And then you get on the bus and you come all the way back home and don't get home until about one or two in the morning. So it's a long day. It's a long day. And of course, it's great that young people are doing it. And if you're a little older, it's a little, uh, you're a little uh, worse for the wear for the, it's a little bit of uh, trying. <laughs> yes, yeah. you are. <laughs> but uh, God bless you for doing that. And, uh, you know, uh, there's this was such a great event and so positive. Uh, there was no negatives uh, from the media. I think last year they learned uh, the the Covington Catholic High School students. Uh, the question was, were they going to return to the uh, March for Life after the fallout from the media last year with Nick Sandman and uh, the uh, Black Hebrew Nationals and the uh, other counter protesters that confronted the kids on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial? Uh, but this year, the Covington kids came back in strength. I understand that four charter buses from Covington Catholic High School went back to this year's March for Life, which was great. And I understand that the president gave Nick Salmon a shout-out from the uh, stage. Tell us about that. Well, it was pretty exciting. I mean, I've never seen it that jam-packed at the rally before. Even a couple of years ago, when uh, right after President Trump was elected, uh, Vice President Pence came, and he came last year, too, and it was jammed, but nothing like this year. I mean, and the excitement level was so high. You you could hardly breathe. You were so jammed in the mall area. Uh, there was a lot higher security this year, so you couldn't spread out quite as far, but the excitement through the crowds, was amazing. Everybody was so so excited to see this happen and revitalize because of what happened last year too. Everybody said, "No, you're not going to you're not going to hold us down. We we have a message and we're going to get it out there." Well, that's that's right. And there was a lot of questions that hung in the air after last year's rally um, and with the negative media that came down. And of course, those uh, because the kids were wearing mega hats, right? Uh, They bought those along uh, the way, just like you buy anything really there in Washington. You buy T-shirts, you buy hats and stuff like that. And the kids were in Washington. So some of them bought the mega hats and they were just waiting for the bus. And so they became the target of counter protesters waiting for the bus on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. And uh, that's when this whole thing unfolded as uh, people, uh, videos were started to circulate and all that. And unfortunately, these kids in their high school became uh, the target of a hate campaign. And because of social media and because the national media wanting to score points against President Trump last year, used these kids as a prop. And that's unacceptable to have minors be the target of that kind of hate campaign. Uh, And you joined with us on a letter uh, joining national leaders and Ohio leaders, uh, pro-life leaders, family leaders, as we called upon the FBI, the Justice Department, to conduct an investigation. Last year at this time, uh, we held a press conference in Cincinnati on the Fountain Square calling for the Justice Department, local authorities, and the FBI to investigate the very serious threats that came in against the Catholic High School in Covington, Kentucky. I'm going to read a little bit of the uh, letter that we wrote to the FBI at that time. The statements and direct threats that were made against the Christian school and its students are alarming and extremely dangerous. The FBI in recent past has brought charges against prosecuted individuals who have hurled similar threats against congressional members. One such such incident occurred in 2010 when a threat was reported to have been made against then-Ohio Congressman John Bocheri. The case was brought to federal court, and the individual in question was found guilty and sentenced to prison. The hysteria that followed the students from the encountered uh, with protesters at the Lincoln Memorial at the conclusion of the March for Life put them at the center of a generated hate campaign fueled by false media reports and social media. It has been documented that known individuals have called for violence against the students in their Christian school. This, in our opinion, is is simply an outrage and a watershed moment in which reason, sensibility, and the law must come into play. Attached in this letter are the screenshots of these threats that are posted on social media platforms viewed by thousands. These threats include for the calling of doxing of the students and their families, as well as calls for violent acts against the students and the school. Well, 
One thing led to another. We called for the investigation by authorities, and we understand that our press conference and the and that media actually had a good effect. It caused the threats to really diminish, and the prosecutor from Covington, Kentucky, is uh, Rob Sanders, is going to attest to that as he was working with local school officials. And so sometimes you have to draw a light and shine a light on darkness. And when we did, and, and these people understood the threats that they could be prosecuted for these things, then they started crawling back into their caves, Denise, I'm telling you. And it was horrendous. I know, and that's where they should stay. I mean, we're so used to turning the other cheek and just letting it letting it go. And because, you know, sometimes you just can't you can't answer to that. You just have to ignore it, and they usually go away. But this time, they took it a step too far. These these were young kids, and and they were representing the pro life movement. And, and I don't think they were they were ill equipped to handle what happened to them. So we needed to take a stand. So that was exactly perfect for us to do that. It, it was, and I was so glad that you joined with us in the letter. And you know, it caused law enforcement to act, and that's why, uh, as the Bible says, you know, uh, law enforcement is there for good. And uh, that's what we were able to do is to make that appeal, and some good things came out of it, out of it as the threats uh, then uh, diminished and went away, and that's good. And it caused people to fear possible prosecution because they were doing they were committing crimes. You cannot make threats Absolutely. against minors like that, and sometimes people have to remind them of the law and the protecting of the innocent. And so. What uh, we've come one full year, and so what we've seen is, of course, CNN has had to pay out of court settlement to the Nick Salmon family, and and uh, you know blessings on them because they deserve it for all that they've been put through as a family. And then, of course, this year the kids responded. We didn't know how the kids would respond. Would some of the Catholic uh, high schools say, well, you know, maybe it's not worth the trouble or, you know, maybe we just don't want to, you know, uh, get involved this year? And thankfully, that was not the, the response. The response was, you know what? We're going. We're going to stand for life no matter what the cost. And they came in strength, and that was a blessing. Tell us about what you saw in the parade route with these young people. You know, most of the children, I'm sorry, most of the people there were, were young, a lot younger than me. Uh, I, I looked everywhere, and you saw colleges, universities, grade schools, middle schools, high schools, everywhere just banding together, and a lot of them all wore their school colors or matching hats or anything, and it was so nice to see the signs and everything, and they were all peaceful. It wasn't anybody creating havoc or anything else like a women's march that usually comes there the week before, and, and everybody was... Um, just so kind and attentive and and just standing up for their beliefs. And I think what happened last year fueled them on that said that we're not going to take this, and we know how to do it. We know how to do it in a peaceful way. And, and the nice thing about it is they're not standing up for their rights. They're standing up for somebody else's rights. It's not a selfish march at all, so it was wonderful. Well, that's right, and it's been all these years that the March for Life has been a demonstration for the cause for life. It's in Washington, D.C., because that's the seat of our federal government. It actually marches from down Pennsylvania Avenue up Capitol Hill and before the U.S. Supreme Court. And, of course, uh, uh, Denise, what you do uh, throughout the year is work and advocate for the li- for life and uh, counseling correct. women and uh, steering people to the cause of life and, of course, helping and aiding uh, legislation that uh, protects the unborn at the Ohio State House. We uh, join with you on that, on pro-life legislation, uh, both on the state and federal level. We've seen some progress. We've seen the abortion numbers come down in the state of Ohio in recent reports. Tell us about that. Well, uh, there's a couple of percentage points every year. If you look over the last 20 or 30 years, where it's in it's decreasing drastically, and I think it's because of the advocacy work that people are finally starting to realize that abortion is wrong. When you break down the polls, it depends on what questions are asked. Uh, some of the liberal media will tell you that, that America is soundly pro-choice, but if you break that down and ask them, well, do you believe in abortion when a child feels pain, or do you believe in late trimester, uh, third trimester abortions, they'll say no. So they're knowing that Abortion is wrong at some point, so the tide is turning in our favor, and I think that's the way we're going to stop abortion is by changing hearts and minds so that even if the laws never change, we'll dry up people that want to go to these abortion clinics, and, and I see it turning in our favor every day. 
the number of abortion clinics are closing uh, in the state of Ohio. But unfortunately, Planned Parenthood uh, keeps cranking money into the promotion of abortion, education in the schools, uh, and uh, leading people into uh, you know sexual activity, and then of course, that's right uh, to uh, abortion. Tell us about that. Well, Planned Parenthood has always said that abortion was only 3% of their business, but if you look at their annual report, you'll see it's not. They are the largest provider of abortions in the country, and as federal dollars uh, increase into uh, going into Planned Parenthood's coffers, so are the number of abortions increasing. And all of their other services are decreasing drastically, and they're in the schools and they're driving their abortion business. They used to say that it wasn't their primary uh that wasn't their focus, but their president that they just fired last year said, yes, it is, and that's what we need to do. And so they hired somebody that could could promote abortion even more. And it's really sad. Rather than planning parenthood, they are planning to kill the children that go there or the women that go there because they're not teaching them abstinence or self-respect. They're teaching them that their only choice is to kill their unborn child, not to uh, or plan ahead of time so that they don't have a child. And it's really sad. Well, that's right. And Planned Parenthood, of course, uh, you know, the president in his administration has seek, sought to defund Planned Parenthood, cut their funding, and working with uh, Republican members in the Congress to cut uh, Planned Parenthood's funding. Well, how are we doing in that regard? How is the Trump administration well, doing? Well, we're doing excellent in that. Uh, we just had the Title Ten funding uh, taken away from them, and uh, you know, if they wanted to keep that Title X funding, which that is the portion of government funds that goes for family planning services, but it's not supposed to go to any entity that uh, promotes or does abortion. And back, I believe it was in the Obama administration, they got that changed a little bit for Planned Parenthood was getting part of that. But now uh, they've reaffirmed the Title X rules that say you can't get it. So rather than fight it or or closed clinics or stop doing abortions, they just, uh, Planned Parenthood said abortion is more important to them, so they withdrew from the Title X funding, and that took away, took away about $60 million from them. So that, that is a wonderful thing. We're still fighting them on other fronts, too, though. They get way too much in taxpayer funding. And see, that's the challenge. And so when we put out a candidate survey, we ask uh, about defunding Planned Parenthood. We want to know that these candidates running for office are with us on that issue, that defunding Planned Parenthood. And so that's going to be in the Ohio Christian Alliance Voter Guide is where candidates stand on that key issue. Are they pro-life? Do they support the cause of family? Yes. Yes, it's very important because there is at least... 20 different alternatives to every Planned Parenthood location across the country. In the Akron area here where we are, there are 13 uh, pregnancy centers, there's 13 federally qualified or rural health care centers, and another dozen or so free or sliding scale clinics which provide more comprehensive health care than Planned Parenthood. So it's not your only choice. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, what we're doing is educating for life in the schools. And there's a real battleground right now, and that is sex education is becoming even more perverted in the public schools. And groups are beginning to shine a light on that uh, with, uh, you know, what sex ed is. And then, of course, degenerating it down into a very early ages. Uh, Not only are we dealing with... um, uh, gender dysphoria as far as education, these kids, uh, you know, putting questions in their mind as to what gender they are, but also confusing them as to the morality of sexuality and, and uh, you know, becoming prom- promiscuous at an early age. This is, you know, the, the battle of our times. And, and moms and dads out there, you need to be involved and understand and ask questions of your teachers and your administrators. What's going on in your school? What is your student being taught? And talk to your young, your children, your your son or your daughter about these issues and be involved. That's how we can uh, win this battle. Isn't that right, Denise? Oh, that's that's so right, and you should find out who is teaching this in your schools, because some schools are even saying that parents and children do not have the ability to opt out of these classes, and that is wrong. I think some of these things should be taught at home, not left up to the schools, although sadly some parents don't teach them, but you should have control over what your children learn, and they should be learning morals and values from you, and not the intricacies and the details of how to do the sexual 
acts and things like that in schools, and that's what they're teaching, and that is so wrong. We're talking with Denise Leopold, director of Northeast Ohio Right to Life. Uh, Denise, of course, you, your care and concern for women who have been affected by abortion, uh, the grief that they feel, the sorrow that they feel. There's also a restoration of ministry that you actually uh, reach out to these women as well. Tell us about that. Yes, well, we do teach sidewalk counseling and how to talk with the women that are going into uh, abortion clinics or Planned Parenthood locations. And we also uh, have a program that uh, puts women that are abortion vulnerable in touch with resources to uh, that are life-saving resources. We get them in contact with uh, uh, facilities that can provide them an ultrasound for free, not like you pay for at the abortion facilities. And it's been shown that uh, 75 to 80% of the women who view a, an ultrasound of their child in the womb will choose life. And then those that um, perhaps may have had an abortion in the past in the past, they do regret it. We can get them in touch with um, entities that can do post-abortion healing or counseling, and we can work with those organizations and with churches that provide the same, too. Because, uh, I mean, women make mistakes. They're le- mistakes. They're learning that it's, uh, if it's legal, it must be right, and that's, that's, not, that's not true at all. And we need to help them. We need to uh, bring them back to understand that what they did was wrong, but they, they really need to be saved. What is on the agenda for your organization uh, in this first part of the year, and what do you look for doing in 2020? Well, right now we're gearing up in April. We have our annual dinner, and uh, we're gearing up to put an emphasis on our media program because 90% of the women that uh, find out that they are pregnant and it's unexpected turn to the media to find out information about abortion, and we're going to be there for them so that they get the correct answers. We're working on that. Uh, we we are working very strongly on our advocacy programs and our education. I go into schools and into churches um, to teach either sidewalk counseling or just to give an update on what's going on and how churches and the everyday person can inv- get involved in changing the tide and to making America uh, a country that is got liberty and justice for all, born and unborn, not not just those. Uh, that are outside of the womb. So we we work behind the scenes doing that. But again, most of our work is done in education advocacy because uh, today in our schools, they're not learning what the sanctity of life is really all about. And elections have consequences. So register and vote and vote pro-life. That's what we want to get the message out. Absolutely. Yes, because if you don't have the right to life, none of the else None of the rest matters. You have to be born. And, and that's not being a one-issue voter. That's being a primary-issue voter. So you, you do have to realize that the right to life comes first. It's like buying a pair of shoes. They have to fit. None of the else matters if they don't fit. Same thing with the right to life. If, if the right to life isn't come, doesn't come first, none of the, else, none of the rest matters. Well, I want to say to our li- uh, our listeners, on behalf of our listeners, Denise, thank you for all that you're doing for the cause of life. I know that you've been uh, the director for some years now, and it's been a, a great encouragement to those in Northeast Ohio, your advocacy and your tireless, tireless energy to defend the cause for life and the unborn. Give us your website so folks can visit. Sure, it's www.righttolifeofnortheastohio.com. Thank you, Denise, for being my guest today. And thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. God bless you and for all you do for the cause for life. Thank well, you. stay with us on the other side. We're going to be talking to Rob Sanders, the the prosecutor from Covington, uh, Kentucky. And uh, we're going to talk to him about what happened in the aftermath last year of the Covington Catholic High School students and the investigation of those who brought threats against the school. Don't go away. We'll be right back after these messages. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe. On D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. 
This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Hi, this is David Barton of Wall Builders. On Veterans Day, November 11, we salute all of our brave Ohio veterans and active duty military. Since 1776, our veterans have fought to keep America free and to liberate millions around the world from oppression, and they still do that today. But today, we see many Americans who refuse to honor our flag, who disrespect our founders, and they even want to remove Christian crosses from military cemeteries. To keep America free, we need to elect political leaders who share our patriotic values. To do that, veterans and their families and people of faith must be registered to vote. It's our duty to protect our God-given freedoms that our veterans bravely fought for. It's easy. Just go to MyOhioVote.com to register to vote. That's MyOhioVote.com. God bless you, and God bless America. Paid for by the One Nation Under God Foundation, a tax-exempt committee. Please visit our website at www.oneundergod.us. Okay, and we're back, and we're going to be talking about the Covington Catholic High School students one year later. And I want to read to you an excerpt of this letter that we wrote uh, to the FBI agent there in Cincinnati a year ago calling for an investigation uh, about the serious threats that came in against the school in the aftermath of the uh, hate campaign, uh, the counter-protest in Washington, D.C., after they participated in the March for Life. It said, we said there, the Justice Department stands for justice for all and everyone equal under the law. Does the well-being and safety of a congressman outweigh the safety and security of school children? The individuals who made these vicious and dangerous threats against the Covington Catholic children must be held accountable for their threats against these minors. We are making this official appeal to you today in hope that those who made these threats and violated the law can be brought to justice. These Christian students were participating in a peaceful civic activity in our nation's capital, exercising their First Amendment right by participating in the annual March for Life as they waited for the bus to take them back home. They became the target from counter-protesters, then they became the targets of a media, social, and media-generated hate campaign. Their civil rights were violated, and then they became targets of a hate campaign with serious documented threats that were made against them. That is why, special agent in charge, we are asking for your department to pursue the investigation of these threats and to bring to justice those who have violated the law. And now let's go to the audio from the press conference. This was a year ago in the aftermath of the March for Life and what had happened at the Covington Catholic High School. And here's the press conference. Good morning. My name is Chris Long. I'm the president of the Ohio Christian Alliance and also Christian Alliance of America. And today we are here in Cincinnati to stand in defense and support of the Covington Catholic High School students who have become the target of a hate campaign since their attendance at the March for Life uh, just a week ago. We are here today because we are standing with the students uh, in the face of this uh, torrent of a hate campaign against them and their school. The serious threats that were levied against the students and their school has caused the school to close. It's called athletic programs to be suspended. Uh, we understand just by a report that one family had to leave their home because they were doxxed. There were crimes that were committed against these young people who were simply at the March for Life to participate in a civic uh, practice of the March for Life. They were waiting for the bus at the Lincoln Memorial and then began to have this hate campaign levied against them. Let's understand something. These are minors. These are youth. And uh, this is really ridiculous when we're talking about what has become of this situation. And as Christians and their civil liberties are under assault. So we are today calling for the FBI and the Justice Department to investigate the very serious threats that were levied against the students and the Christian school. 
And so today with me is Meg Whitman of Cincinnati Right to Life, also Mark Harrington of Created Equal, a number of pro-life, pro-family groups, and uh, religious advocacy organizations have signed on to this letter that today was received by the Justice Department in Washington, D.C., the field office here in Cincinnati, and also the field office in Kentucky. And we're going to meet with FBI officials a little later this morning to discuss the details of these threats and how they plan on pursuing the investigation. I'm going to turn it over to Mark Harrington. And that was an excerpt from our press conference last year in Cincinnati on Fountain Square. And again, uh, that was a year ago uh, this uh, week. And we did receive a letter back from the Justice Department, actually from uh, the Civil Rights Unit, uh, uh, Jeffrey Ver Verletti, and he wrote this. Dear, Dear Mr. Long, I'm writing in response to your letter addressed to the Assistant Attorney General, uh, Department of Justice Civil Rights Division, dated January 28, 2019. In this letter, you have requested an investigation into these threats against the Covington Catholic High School students and their school. It is our understanding you have already spoken with a special agent from the Covington uh, Residency Age, uh, resident agent on February 4th about this letter. We have provided a copy of your letter addressed to uh, AAG Dryband and to the special agent, any further concerns regarding this matter should be sent directly to the FBI's uh, Louisville Field Office, Covington uh, Resident Agency, located, and it gives the address. So we did receive a response from uh, the Justice Department, uh, but we were waiting to see. They, the FBI and the Justice Department say it's, it's, uh, we're delegating this and working in cooperation with local uh, law enforcement, which would be the county prosecutor's office there in Covington, Kentucky. And uh, Rob Sanders was actually responsive and uh, talked with us about uh, how he was going to try to pursue some of these cases, and he was concerned about it, and that was good response from local law enforcement. We have uh, the prosecutor on, Rob Sanders, and it's been one year. Let's uh, check in with him. Mr. Sanders, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, sir, and thank you for what you were doing on behalf of these kids and uh, really uh, your community and responding. And I know that it upset you personally. You, The Covington Catholic High School is a great institution in your area, and it's it's really renowned. And, you know, some great people have graduated from there and gone on to do some really good things. And so it's uh, uh, an institution really in high regard in the greater uh, Kentucky and Cincinnati area. Tell us about, from your standpoint, how this this all went down last year. Well, at the time I got involved, it was on the weekend, I believe a Saturday morning, and I went to uh, have my coffee and check my social media, as I'm accustomed to do in the early morning weekend hours, and my Twitter feed was just blowing up. That was shortly after the CovCast video, the original edited, shortened down version of the video, the misleading video, had gone viral. And the Twitter feed, as I said, was blowing up, and it was it was just out of control. It was horrible. People were saying horrible things about these children, and that's ultimately what we got to remember that we're talking about is not adults but children. Yes. And that there were uh, some very, very nasty, vile, violent statements, and some certainly that could be taken as threats. In fact, some that blatantly were threats. Uh, now, most of these threats were being made by people that were using anonymous Twitter accounts, and I think it goes to pretty much the same no matter what social media platform uh, they happen to be using. I know we investigated Instagram accounts, Facebook accounts, um, obviously Twitter accounts, and I think there were a few more social media platforms that we looked into before um, it was all said and done. And virtually everyone is not very hard, or at least they're not very strict, about making someone identify their, themselves in any way, shape, or form when it comes to their online media accounts. And to a T, every one of these people that was making any kind of threats against these students, they were doing it under pseudonyms, false names, made-up names, names that just obviously were not them. Um, we put in between I guess at one point we had upwards of uh, eight or ten different police agencies working on these threats for various reasons, depending on where individual students lived, what uh, the, what police department had jurisdiction um, over Covcat. Uh, you know, Covcat sits in Park Hills, Kentucky, which is a tiny little suburb of Cincinnati. It's got a 
I think the police department only has eight or ten officers on it. So it overwhelmed the Park Hills police. We had Kenton County Police working on it, Erlanger Police, um, my own office and my in-house detectives were working on it. It really was a giant undertaking, time-consuming matter. Um, it's not fast to get any kind of records out of any um, online social media company at all. We're really at the, their mercy for turnaround time when it comes to being responsive to our subpoenas and to our search warrants. And ultimately, after weeks and months of digging through these records, we were uh, only able to identify two individuals who made uh, statements online that could be construed or that definitely were threats. There's really two layers to this investigation that were major obstacles to overcome. One was sorting through the things that were just vile and nasty statements, but they weren't necessarily threats or they were threats that uh, had contingencies to them or threats that were not specific in nature to any one person, individual, or Covcath as a whole. Um, and then, uh, so we had to find the ones that were actionable under the law, and after we sorted out all the ones that were not actionable, then we had to see if we could identify the people responsible for those threats. We got it down to the point uh, that we identified two people. One was in California, one was in Tennessee that we could identify that made what I believe to be actionable threats, or at least um, arguably actionable threats, that we had probable cause to proceed against. Um, By this time, it was months and months after the fact. Um, By this time, the social media storm, and for that matter, the media storm, had blown over. Uh, Life had gotten back to normal at Covington Catholic. Um, They were not having to have police officers stand guard uh, or park police cars in front of the school every day. There had been no more recent threats. Um, You know, really, life was back to normal for the CovCath students, and we had to make the decision at that point, was it worth it? Uh, to continue to pursue possible criminal charges when we're talking about Class D felonies, which is the low, lowest level of felony in Kentucky. We're talking about a tremendous undertaking in terms of charging, arresting, and extraditing um, the individuals back to Kentucky. Now, the one from Tennessee wouldn't have been a big deal, but the one from California would have been uh, quite burdensome on our sheriff's department and quite expensive for the taxpayers to go get. But we also had to take into account what were we going to do to the lives of the students at Covington Catholic if we stirred this hornet's nest back up again. And ultimately, uh, after being in consultation with everybody from law enforcement to the school to the parents, uh, I came to the decision that it was it was better to let it go and let the students continue to live a normal life than it was to try and make examples out of only two people when there were dozens, if not hundreds of people that had made statements that if we had been able to identify them, that it could have been actionable against them. Uh, We did get far enough into it that uh, we made known to the two individuals that they were under investigation. Both individuals had to hire attorneys and go to great lengths to try and defend themselves. Um, I think it it caused them uh, certainly concern and stress and not to mention attorney's fees uh, to prepare for the possibility that they might be arrested and brought back to Kentucky. Um, but at that point, the cost-benefit analysis, I think we had sent the message, we had made a difference, we had let the world know that this was not acceptable behavior to be threatening students yes. and that we were, were not going to tolerate it. And effectively, we put a stop to it. And it, it just came to a point where I made the decision that we had made enough of an example and it was better not to disrupt the lives of the Covington Catholic students just to bring charges against uh, two individuals. We're talking with Rob Sanders. He is the uh, prosecutor in Kenton, Kentucky, that includes uh, Covington uh, Catholic High School, and and then, of course, uh, pursuing the investigation of these very serious threats that came in against the school. Rob, when we go back a year ago this time, it was a much different story. Thankfully, things have gotten uh, back to normal, and the kids can just uh, be kids and and live their high school life. That's what we all wanted. 
And what we were concerned about was social media and the national liberal media basically fomented this whole thing. They created the problem. Now, of course, the Sandman family, they filed uh, uh, civilly in court, and uh, one settlement uh, with CNN is settled out of court with uh, Nick Sandman and his parents and the attorneys. Uh, But we, as an organization advocating in our National Identity Christian Alliance of America, we did the press conference because we wanted to shine a light on this and get the Justice Department's uh, attention to this because the school had to shut down. There was a bomb threats. There was uh, even calling for, you know, shooting. I don't even want to get into all the details. They're just so heinous at the time. I think most people know just how ridiculous, heinous, and uh, serious the threats that came in against the schools. There were a couple families that had to leave their homes uh, because they were doxxed. Uh, and that, all of that was just un. Uh, unbelievable, quite honestly. And, you know, sometimes you, you have to speak up uh, and, and not let just something uh, pass. And I know that you, as a law enforcement in your community, it infuriated you that this was happening to innocent people in your community. Speak to that for a minute. Well, it did. It was very frustrating, too, because, we, you know, from a law enforcement standpoint, we got a at best a slow response out of the social media platforms that were facilitating the doxing of these students and their families. And it really did cause a great disruption to their lives. Not only did the Sandman family have to move out of their home for a few days, but there was another student who was misidentified. The initial statements online was that this was him when in Turns out it was Nick Sandman all along, and this student wasn't even in D.C. for the March uh, for Life at that time. And yet, because of the threats, they still had to move out of their home for a couple days. Uh, Plus, like you said, these were vulgar, heinous statements. They were made about children, um, Catholic school children. It's just uncalled for. There's just no circumstances. I don't. Number one, I don't think that these uh, students did anything wrong. But even if they had done something wrong, there's no circumstances where it is acceptable behavior to make threats against children. That's just ridiculous. It's it's uncivilized conduct, and we were very frustrated initially um, by the lack of cooperation we were getting, or at least the slow cooperation uh, from online platforms. They refused to take statements down. They just ignored complaints about statements. And I think that this goes not just to the to the liberal media coverage, to the national media coverage, but also to the online internet providers that do these social media platforms, that everybody has to be more responsible about their conduct. They have to be more responsible about their reporting. They have to be more responsible about the statements that they allow to be made on their platforms about the information, individual, personal, private, identifying information, like addresses, phone numbers, email addresses, things like that, where they can really disrupt someone's life over what turned out to be blatantly false statements in this case. And it wouldn't have been acceptable even if the statements had been true. But in this case, the statements were blatantly false. And so I congratulate Nick Sandman and his family for pursuing the civil cases, um, against CNN and the other defendants in their various suits, I think that's appropriate because the news media has to be accountable for what they do. And me being a public figure, I am only too aware of how out of control the media can be and how much insulation they enjoy when when making false statements about public figures. But Nick Sandman wasn't a public figure at this point, so they didn't have nearly as much protection um, about making false statements against him like they do when they do it about a public figure like myself. Uh, so I applaud him. I'm glad that he's going after him. I think that's a better venue for this. You know, in criminal court, we have a standard of proof beyond a reasonable doubt versus preponderance of the evidence in civil courts. And I think monetary damages is probably the best way to get the attention of the people that can really make a difference in the future. You know, prosecuting one or two individuals isn't going to change the behavior of the hundreds of individuals that react in this unacceptable way whenever they see something they don't like in the news or or online. Um, However, hitting these corporations for multi-million dollar settlements or verdicts 
will bring a difference in the way things are reported. It will bring a difference in the way uh, statements are allowed to be made, false narratives are allowed to be perpetuated online. And ultimately, I think that will have a much greater difference, a much better effect on our society than than putting one or two people in jail or on probation or something like that for their conduct. Well, I think that your your office being responsive at the time and doing the proper investigation, uh, I want to bring up about the FBI because was the FBI assistant assisting you, and do you feel that you received the kind of assistance uh, from the FBI that the public probably thinks that they provided for you? What what kind of assistance did you get from them? We got some. I I guess the short answer is no. I was a little frustrated. Um, not necessarily just the FBI, but federal agencies in general, um, I, I would have liked to have seen them do more to help out because, quite frankly, state prosecutors have, you know, we have great jurisdiction to reach out when a felony has been committed and, and bring someone back to Kentucky, but we have very little ability to cross state lines and go investigate actions that took place in another jurisdiction. Uh, we could have really used a lot more help when it came to the federal government in terms of sending their agents who they have in field offices all across the country, whether it be the FBI or any other federal agency, we could really use some more help in terms of investigating this behavior, identifying the people that were responsible for it. I think the federal government gets a much better, much faster response from internet companies when they send subpoenas and search warrants. Um, I would have liked to have had more federal agents moving faster across the country to go knock on doors and ask questions of the people who were living where the IP addresses came back. Um, as it played out, we had to rely on the assistance of other uh, state and municipal law enforcement agencies across the country. Some were more responsive than others. Uh, we actually got some of the most help from the Los Angeles Police Department, the Los Angeles Sheriff's Department, um, of any other ones, which kind of surprised me because they're such large agencies. I didn't entirely expect them uh, to care that much about what happened back in Kentucky. However, they were very responsive wow. and gave the detectives to go out and make those contacts, and that's how one of the two individuals was identified. And they actually got the person to admit that he was the one that made the online statements. Now, of course, he couched it saying that he was just venting and never actually had any plans to do anything, nor had he hadn't actually ever even been to Kentucky, didn't know where Covington Catholic was, for that matter. Um, he had all sorts of excuses, but at that point, you know, that right there is already a great deterrent when you, know, you make these uh, outrageous, inflammatory, not to mention criminal statements online, and a, a day or two later, you got an L.A. Uh, detective knocking on your door. Uh, that is a big deterrent. Whether you'd arrest it or not, I don't think that guy will ever be as foolish as to make those kind of statements again. Um, it would have been nice if we would have gotten a, a quicker response uh, from the federal agencies that have uh, agents spread out all across the country and could have done this a lot faster than us trying to contact the right people in the right agencies and the right jurisdictions at states that are thousands of miles away. Well, Rob, that's what we were attempting to do with our press conference, not draw attention to the students, but draw attention to law enforcement and to those who actually are making these threats against the schools that, you know, th these are crimes. You can't do that. These are kids and it's not going to be tolerated and we're going to have it investigated. And I'm glad that you pursued it. I'm glad you did receive some cooperation from some law enforcement. In this case, it happened to be in L.A. County. Uh, we're thankful for that and some in Tennessee. But I agree with you that the federal agencies, at least they uh, sent us back a letter, they were aware of it. Uh, hopefully for future reasons, they'll be more participating in this kind of thing. And this has been a teaching moment, I think, for media that has been irresponsible. They're going to, obviously, uh, on, on civil uh, case, they're having to pay out. Uh, but also, I think, by the public's uh, shame, quite honestly, uh, hopefully it's been a teaching moment for everyone. And these kids, God bless them, and the school, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, in that way, they're back to life as usual. That's what we want for our kids. And uh, uh, what you wanted for the, the kids in your community at Covington Catholic High School. And we're so thankful uh, you were really a stand-up guy. You did uh, your office well and your community well by the way you pursued this. And uh, I think that's uh, what people were really encouraged by. So I want to thank you for that. 
Well, I appreciate you saying that, and, and it's good that you brought up that it's a teaching moment because, quite frankly, I don't know that anybody in law enforcement had encountered anything quite like this uh, where these, uh, you know, we've had viral things happen all across the country. We've had individuals get doxxed. We've had all kinds of things happen over things that have gone viral on online or on the Internet. Um, but I don't know that anybody had ever encountered a viral attack on a single school or on an entire school, I should say. So it was a learning moment for law enforcement all across the country, too. And just like law enforcement prepares for all sorts of other horrible situations like uh, school shooters or or bombings or terrorist attacks or whatever, I think this is yet another way. Now, obviously, hopefully nobody will ever lose their life over some kind of viral uh, online attack and death threats and things like that. But at the same time, we have to learn how to respond. I think that this was a teaching moment for law enforcement, and I'm hopeful that in the future, uh, law enforcement can be better prepared to respond and really shut this conduct down and hopefully track down the people that were responsible so that there can be better, faster uh accountability than there was in this case. And I think it was certainly a learning moment for me. I think my office and the agencies that I work with will be better prepared to deal with it in the future. And I'm hopeful that other jurisdictions can learn from what happened to us uh, and be ready in case it ever happens in their jurisdiction as well. Because this is one of those things, you know, you never expect is whether you're a prosecutor, police chief, or, or anybody else in law enforcement, you never expect to be the agency that's appearing on national news networks all across the country at any given moment. Um, but this was my lesson that you just never know when it's going to be you. And this was our time in the spotlight. It's certainly a time that we would have liked to avoid it, but uh, we dealt with it. We made the best of it. And we'll be better prepared for it in the future. Rob, thank you so much uh, for coming on today. God bless you, sir, for your service to your community, and we thank you very much. Thank you. I appreciate that. Again, that's uh, County Prosecutor from Kenton, Kentucky, Rob Sanders, and bringing some closure to the Covington Catholic High School scenario that happened a year ago this time, and actually the kids responded by bringing four busloads back to the March for Life, continuing their civic duty and uh, their cause for life. Thanks for listening today. If you uh, missed any of the program, you can catch it on our website at ohioca.org. Thanks for listening. God bless. See you next week. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.